Last November, I received an invitation from the director of the Ostend Institute of Crustacea to speak at an expenses-paid three-day seminar examining the lobster as cultural artefact. He had, he explained, read my paper exploring the role of the lobster as a transgressive object in 20th century art and letters, and felt that my input could form the backbone, so to speak, of the discussions. Delighted at the opportunity, I cancelled my previous engagements and made plans for my departure. The day in question arrived, and I started out filled with every kind of anticipation. The journey itself was pleasant enough, if uneventful, but on arrival I found myself, on the instant, an unwitting participant in some type of incident. There has been a small tragedy, monsieur, I was gravely informed. Naturally unwilling to pry, I allowed myself to be escorted into an antechamber, where I was told a senior representative of the Institute would soon make their presence known. We can only apologise for the inconvenience, urged the clerk, a simpering youth with a rather unattractive assortment of facial lesions. Would Monsieur care for a glass of water, or perhaps something stronger? He added furtively. Declining the offer, I seated myself in an armchair and cast my eye over my preparatory notes. I was uncertain as to what, precisely, would be needed and or relevant from that material. The monograph that had so caught the attention of my host had referenced everything from Dali's famous telephone to the rape of Divine in John Waters' Multiple Maniacs by a 15-foot lobster. It would have been remiss of me, moreover, to have not included reference to Cook and Moore's blithely defamatory claims as to the virtue of Jane Mansfield's posterior. I was, in essence, prepared for any eventuality. Five minutes passed, then ten. I became restless, shifting in my seat. The room, a small library, was sparsely furnished, the walls lined with bookcases, the lighting dim. I could hear, from one of the adjoining rooms, the sound of voices, although I could not ascertain whether the language spoken was French or Flemish. I left my seat and moved over to the doorway. As I did so, the sound of voices ceased. I looked at my watch. I held my breath for a few moments. Moving over to one of the bookcases, I allowed my eyes to take in some of its contents the majority of which were encyclopedias on the subject of marine arthropods. One book caught my eye, a leather-bound item that had no title. I leafed through several pages. It was, to my surprise, what appeared to be a diary written in a curious, cramped hand. As to whom the diary belonged, there was no immediate evidence, although after perusing a small amount of text, I paused. I reread a few lines. I then slowly reached into my jacket pocket to remove my camera and, angling the pages toward the paltry glare of the overhead light, photographed what had been written there. For the benefit of the listener, I quote directly from that which the photograph contains. May the 12th, 1854. Having voiced my concern regarding chafing, 
Gerard has procured for me a length of very fine and very thin pale blue silk. This material, being of higher quality than that accursed jute of which I am used, engenders freer movement, certainly, and in its delicate hue appeals to the aesthete in me. Our morning perambulations were leisurable, if a trifle eleventful. We paused to converse with Madame Branleurs for seventeen minutes, during which time I noted the veins in the woman's ankles and a small quantity of equine fecal matter that had affixed itself to the heel of her right shoe. As we approached Le Palais Royal, a light rain had begun to fall. I nosed around the nasturtiums for three minutes before feeling the tug of my new leash. Someone had been digging in the flower beds, I noted. Part of a child's doll was visible, its cracked face exposed to the elements, now overrid with beetles. Thibault, we must be going, urged Gerard. The noise of the shutter seemed suddenly very loud in that quietened room. I replaced the camera in my side pocket, and as I did so gave a small start. I was not alone. A figure was sat in the doorway, a child, I presumed, given the height, although the frame was rather too muscular. There was, furthermore, something strange about the figure's extremities. Good afternoon, I said more than a trifle guilty at having been caught taking photographs of someone's diary. The figure did not stir. Its features were obscured in darkness. I was admiring your library, I continued. I have a liking for lobsters, my companion said abruptly. They're peaceful, serious creatures. They know the secrets of the sea. They don't bark, and they don't gnaw upon one's monadic privacy like dogs do. I could make no response. A wise man, that French fellow. He knew a thing or two about bugs, that's for damn sure, the man added. I took an involuntary step backwards. I could now see that my companion's legs had a curious, twisted aspect. In addition to this, the right hand that gripped the door jamb consisted, seemingly, of two misshapen claws. I felt something thick at the back of my throat. Are you the director of the institute? I heard myself say. The figure shook its head, its features still in darkness. The name's Styles. I'm what you might call a long-term resident. Slowly, as if moving through water, I found myself returning the diary to its place on the bookshelf. As I did so, the figure shunted forward slightly. They can, of course, swim backwards, the lobster. Blue blood they have. Communicate through urine most of the time. Been known to cannibalize their own. A smile crept into the corners of his mouth. But of course, you know all that. The sound of voices from the adjoining room had now resumed. I could hear, in addition, a heavy clattering sound, as if someone was rearranging numerous and unmanageable items of furniture. 
I was told there'd been some incident, I half whispered. There has been some kind of tragedy, I was told. The man laughed, a sharp, unpleasant sound. Ain't no tragedy. That's just what they say. What you hear is the sound of things getting started. There's a special guest here this evening. You just keep them eyes peeled. I could think of no response. My companion turned his head so that his left ear was almost resting upon his shoulder. Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance, he crooned. I moved away from the bookcase. I reached for my briefcase and manoeuvred my body towards the open doorway. Uh, there's been some kind of mistake, I said. Will you please tell the director that I have returned to my hotel? I shall contact the administrative staff tomorrow. Stiles regarded me wordlessly. Then, with several alarmingly swift motions, he scuttled into the corridor and out of sight. After a few moments, I could hear his voice through the wall, as if in entreaty with some unknown party. Gripping my case in one hand, I headed for the hallway. An overhead bulb was flickering slightly and emitting a curious buzzing sound. I extended my free hand and grasped the front door handle. For one unpleasant moment there was no movement, none whatsoever. Then the handle turned in my hand and I felt a cool breeze upon my face. The smell of salt in the air was immediately apparent, almost cloying. Footsteps were now behind me and the sound of something else that I could not define. I moved quickly. I reached the end of the driveway and hurried out into the main road. Dusk was fast approaching. Within a few minutes, all I could hear was the sound of my own laboured breathing and the ever-present distant crash of waves. While it is true that I did return to my hotel room, I did not contact the Institute, either then or in the days to come. Upon my return to London, I resumed my life and business in the simplest manner possible. The experience in Ostend had disquieted me, undoubtedly, but after a few weeks it began to leave my thoughts entirely. Indeed, there were moments when I questioned whether or not I had simply dreamt the ridiculous business, whether in whole or in part. And last Tuesday, the strangest thing happened. While conducting some research online, I discovered that a casual search for the Ostend Institute of Crustacea yielded no results whatsoever. I must presume, furthermore, that I have misplaced their telephone number, for in my address book there is now nothing but a blank page. The photograph, also, is fading. An incessant February rain is at the window. I hope the weather changes. I have, since my childhood, suffered from sensitive skin, and these cold, dark winter months have brought me out in all manner of rashes and itches. I have taken to wearing gloves, as the skin on my hands has, over the last few days, 
developed numerous unsightly red and scaly patches. I do hope it's nothing too serious.